People love hot takes, scorching, face-melting hot takes. It's not our specialty here at 444, nor is it something that the three of us uh, really spend any time trying to drum up for engagement. But this episode of Move the Line is going to be about as hot takey as we get. On today's show, we're going to lean into a little bit of the high-variance nature of the National Football League. Each going to go around. We're going to highlight a tail outcome, one good and one bad, heading into the 2023 season. Should be a fun one. Let's dig in. Hello and welcome to Move the Line. Ryan Noonan, joined here, as always, by Connor Allen and Sharp Clark. Clark, what's going on, buddy? How you doing today? Doing well. Yeah, excited to talk about tail outcomes and, and get all nerdy about some some teams that that might not be who we think they are. Yeah, it'll be fun. Connor's is uh like I said, we're just that's not a specialty of ours. We've been doing this for a very long time. We are you know, data-driven and try to be pretty measured. We're not out here farming for, uh, well, I don't know, you get your hand dirty in the farming. But uh, in terms of, like, not from a hot take team or player standpoint, but this one should be a little bit interesting. Yeah, and no, I'm excited for this show because I think talking through some of these teams and, like, understanding the range of outcomes is, is really important, as I'm sure Sharp will explain here in a second. But uh, also I have NBA draft news going on side-by-side side while we're doing this show like crazy so if you see me spacing out here for a second, it's because I'm absolutely just going crazy, like hammering some stuff. So uh, my apologies in advance. Pop it in the private chat uh, so we can, you know, tail along here so we don't miss anything in case anything is breaking. Um, of course, we want to remind you to be here every week leading up to the start of the season. Lots of other great original content on our new 4 for 4 Bets YouTube page. Please subscribe there if you want to support the free content. Uh, likes, comments, thumbs up on the videos goes a long way in. Uh, helping us do so uh, jump in the chat let us know what your hottest take is for this upcoming season We'd love to hear from you still obviously available in podcast form as well subscribe there too so you don't miss a show five stars thumbs up all those things go a long way Clark I will kick it to you though first before we jump into things here we've already discussed this a little bit from like a 50,000 foot view in some of our future shows early this season I know I let off with a tidbit around hot takes but this is really much more than that and I think it's a really important exercise to go through before the season starts. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, the premise of this show is, is that making futures bets is about more than one question. So many people talk about, well, I like this team relative to market. I don't like this team relative to market. And that's only one aspect of futures betting. The next aspect is, okay, what does the range of outcomes look like? Uh, because it might be that that might inform exactly which market you want to invest in, because we've got win total markets, we've got Divisional market, Super Bowl, conference, uh, ultimate win totals, miss or make playoffs. There's so many ways to play it, even ancillary bets like MVP and Coach of the Year, that I think it's it's not enough to just say I like this team or I don't like this team. You have to think about what key questions will define the the team's outcome and are, are there ways to capture that value uh, if the answer to those one of those questions leads to what we call a fat tail outcome, which is basically a wider range of outcomes on one side than the other or an, an abnormal distribution of outcomes. Um, so that's what today is about, is just talking about teams that might fit that description and, and how we might go about playing that. And, and you know, it may be that you listen to this and you don't agree with the specific teams that we talk about, but it gets you thinking about maybe another team that you have a specific view on and how you want to play that. That's kind of the, the, the target we're going for here. Yeah, like that. I don't have updated data. I know we talked about it on the futures show when we got into win totals. Front of the show, um, Drew Dinsick, Whale Capper, did some research on this a couple of years ago. So I don't know what the updated data is, but you've typically seen 
like one and a half to two games range around the accuracy of win totals. So like, yeah, theoretically you can get down some decent money here. This is an NFL market that can be a little bit sharper than others, but they're not necessarily like sides and in, in totals type sharp. There's still some edges to be found here. And as Clark talked about there, looking at ways to get down on teams that you like in other ways, whether it's, you know, through coach of the year market, like in that show, when we talked about win totals, like Clark and I were both talking about the dolphins and interest there, but it's like, Hey, can we go through like Jalen Phillips defensive player of the year or Mike McDaniel coach of the year? Are there other ways to get down on something that kind of is aligned with that thinking today? We're going to be a little bit more team specific. We'll get into that here in a second. Just want to remind you too: great time to scoop up a betting sub four for four access to everything through the betting sub. Um, Discord, which you can get all of our official picks, every tool, article, everything on the site. Um, really cheap ways to do it too. We've partnered with a couple different pick'em sites. Uh, if you're not familiar, like Vivid Picks is a great one. Um, they're a parlay pick'em site, similar to others out there in the space. You can use promo code four for four bet when you sign up. They're going to match your first deposit all the way up to two hundred bucks, but you only need to deposit five dollars. Um, that's going to get you a three month betting subscription. Uh, you can do that as well with No House Advantage, our partners there as well. Or you can just lock up the full year, head over to 444.com slash plans. Again, everything that you're going to need football-wise this season, no matter what you're doing, we're going to cover with the betting subscription at 444. All right, gentlemen, uh, I'll kick it back to you, Clark, and let you get started with your uh, your first team here. Um, and you can go whatever you want to do, good or bad. Um, we each have one good and one bad team in terms of uh, the tail outcomes here. Let's start optimistic. Uh, I'm going to start with the Atlanta Falcons. This is a team that has a wide range of, of outcomes on both sides, really. I mean, we have a team led by a quarterback that we don't know a lot about. We only saw four games of, of professional play from him at the end of the year last year. He wasn't a super high draft pick or some kind of slam dunk QB prospect. So that immediately sets the stage for a wide range of outcomes. When we look at teams in the past few years that have vastly exceeded expectation, the, the Eagles last year, the Bengals the year before come to mind as, as two examples. We look at, at certain players in certain positions that are entering years where they tend to perform better than they have in the past. So wide receivers. So many times we see receivers make a massive jump from year one to year two. And we've got Drake London on the Falcons making that move from rookie year to second year in the pros. You know, tight end, second and third year is a big year for them to, to really step into who they can be. Kyle Pitts is entering his third year. Running backs can make an impact in their rookie year. And we got Bijan Robinson, highly touted running back, making his his debut in the NFL. So the pieces are there for a good offense. We know the offensive line is good. We know the scheme is good. Arthur Smith has been, you know, coaching good offenses that rely on good offensive line play and a good run game for years. Now we've got the pieces to make that happen. The question is, can Desmond Ritter put it together and be at least a league average quarterback? Um, and and what I the other thing I want to look for when I'm looking at tail outcomes is strength of schedule, right? Because if the Falcons are good, their schedule is terrible. So I'm terrible. I mean, the opponents are projected to be bad. So if they're good, then they should be able to reel off wins, especially given their offensive structure, which is to rely on the run game and play action. Those kinds of teams perform well when they play with the lead. So if they're beating up on these bad teams, they're going to gain momentum, gain confidence. We saw it with the Eagles last year. Their offense came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they were just rolling opponents because they had the pieces in place in such a strong offensive line. So I think that's the potential for the Falcons' offense. Defensively, and this goes back to the Eagles last year and the Bengals the year before, both of those teams made a series of acquisitions on defense, individual players, none of whom were superstar game breakers in their own right, but 
just compounding effects of having capable players on defense and leadership. The Falcons added Bud Dupree, Jesse Bates, David Animata, Calais Campbell, Jeff Okuda, Mike Hughes. Their defense was really bad last year and should be materially better just by all of these additions. Um, and so we've got a team that is primed to improve at all the key positions, primed to improve on defense, and a massive question mark at quarterback. So all it takes is Desmond Ritter to step into the role, and they can be an 11, 12, 13 win team against that schedule. So, of course, now we're talking about Desmond Ritter. I watched the film. I really liked what I saw at the end of the year. His his pocket presence and movement was excellent. He looked really, really bad in his first game on the road against a very good defense in the Saints, struggled a little bit on the road against a very good defense in the Ravens, and then played well in the, in the last two games. I think that we saw enough to expect him to take a step forward, and I think the Falcons agree with me, which is why they weren't in the quarterback market this offseason. So I'm I'm expecting that to be a fatter tail outcome than people think, and if I want to play the Falcons, I think I'm leaning into that variance and trying to capture that high upside. Yeah, the division is wide open too, Connor. Um, your thoughts on the Falcons? I know it's been something that Clark has been kind of ringing the bell very early here on the on the Falcons. And uh, the more and more I've heard him talk through his points, the more I've uh, I definitely have come on board. Yeah, I'm not entirely sold on the Saints just from a team perspective as well. So I, I think that there's a couple of holes there with them. I'm definitely not sold on the Panthers generally, uh, kind of with what they have there, especially in their passing game, I think might be a little bit rough to start off. So, yeah, I could definitely see it. I think that the market has moved significantly since you originally got in at seven and a half, now eight and a half. So, like, I wonder what, like, the true upside for this Falcons team is with, I mean, relative to market. Like, do we think that there's an outcome where they win, like, 12 games, 13 games? I mean, is that, for me, that's tough to imagine. But at the same time, like, if the defense, I think that the, the biggest thing for me will be, like, twofold. Desmond Ritter, can he take a massive step forward? And if he is good, I think it's very much possible. And if the defense takes a step forward, then, I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's very much at range. I, I think we were saying the same things about the Eagles last year. Uh, last year in the offseason, the Eagles' win total was eight and a half. And a lot of people were saying the same things like, yeah, sure, they got A.J. Brown, but Jalen Hurts just isn't it. He's, he's just not the quarterback to take them there. And by the end of the season, that looks silly. And I'm not saying that Desmond Ritter is Jalen Hurts, but I am saying that Desmond Ritter has Jalen Hurts within his range of outcomes. Yeah, and I think as you kind of laid it out, the structure in which you're to have one of these tail outcomes, oh, sign coming down, is is a really, really, like, it's there. It's it's there for the taking in terms of uh, technicalities here, um, in terms of uh, what leads to these events, similar to what happened with the Eagles last year too. So, uh, Connor, what's your first one here? Yeah, my first one is going to be with Washington Commanders. We touched on it a little bit last week, kind of with uh, my bet in week one. And the more that I dug into it, the more I thought that it was interesting about kind of the potential for this team. And a lot of it has to do with the offense specifically because the addition of Eric Bieniemy, I think, is extremely underrated. And when you're looking at how all the like the weapons plan together, you have you know Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, plus Logan Thomas, I think, is a little bit underrated as well at tight end. And we've seen offensive coaching in the past. And I think the biggest knock on, I don't know, so many quarterbacks, you know, with whether it be Jared Goff with Sean McVay or, you know, Kyle Shanahan leading some jabronis to having a great yards per attempt or, you know, Mike McDaniel with Tua, you know, like, I don't think anyone thinks Tua is like an awesome quarterback, but with great weapons and amazing scheming, like he's able to get something done. And now you have Eric Bieniemy, where I don't think that necessarily like the median outcome here for this Washington team for the offense is super high, but like if, I mean, almost every year we see a team or an offense that just significantly surprises others. And in hindsight, it's like, okay, well, 
They got a new offensive coordinator. They actually have decent weapons. And maybe if the quarterback is decent, like, or at least competent enough to execute a scheme, we can see kind of like that high end range of outcomes here. So I think for the offense, it's just like extremely volatile. Now, I think the downside is also very low if Sam Howell is not good. But the upside, if Eric Bieniemy can kind of mold him into something good, is I think fairly high, at least from an offense perspective, like a fringe top 10 offense, if all goes well. Um, and from a defense pr defensive perspective, I think they're expected to lose Chase Young, but he didn't play last year at all. Their numbers were still great without him. Um, you know, they added a, a good bit here as well. Added Cody Barton as a linebacker, drafted Emmanuel Forbes, who's expected to start. Um, and they lost a safety, Bobby McCain. But other than that, like they were really... I mean, they were strong. They were like fringe top 10 in basically every single metric. And that was despite only forcing 18 turnovers, which is the seventh fewest last year. Uh, so like any more turnover luck, I think that could push them even higher. Um, if their defense, I mean, if they retain Chase Young, I think they're in a fantastic spot and the offense can click. I mean, like, I think there's a legitimate chance where they're winning significantly more than their win total, which is only six and a half right now. So like you can bet them to make the playoffs at in a week, you know, NFC at like plus 300 something you could bet them to win to have a winning record which is essentially over eight and a half and i didn't shop this but dk was like plus 280 or something like that um and you might be able to find better alternate numbers closer to the season but i think that there's a lot of ways that this team could be decent um and maybe even like above average especially if the eagles regress at all if the cowboys regress at all um and i think that the giants i mean had one of the best seasons you know ever given their talent and schedule last year so i think that's like almost certain to regress so all those factors together like i think that this team could easily win eight nine games and you're getting like plus 300 and that for a lot of reasonable outcomes yeah seeing clark stayed in the uh in the nfc you are there i'm gonna go there as well and i think that's part of it too is because the wide the nfc is significantly more wide open in terms of you know the ability to get to the top um you know versus the, you know the afc got the path through those quarterbacks is is very very difficult clark any thoughts you want to expand on uh the commanders here yeah, I want to point out something that applies to both mine and Connor's, and that's... Uh, We're getting some calls uh, during the sorry. show here. <laughs> I want to uh, <laughs> talk about something that applies to both mine and Connor's, which is that um, both Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell, a, a lot of people, especially sort of people that look at data of, of young quarterbacks and, and mapping out expectations, they use draft capital and draft round as a predictor of how good a quarterback is. And so you say, well, Desmond Ritter is a third-round quarterback, Sam Howell is a fifth-round quarterback. But quarterback in particular is so heavily skewed by which teams want a quarterback in a given year and so what we saw in last year's draft was all these bad teams had invested in quarterback the year before and hadn't given up on those quarterbacks so there just wasn't an appetite for quarterbacks and that push that has a major impact on where quarterbacks are drafted so Desmond Ritter was the second quarterback off the board Sam Howell I think was fifth I'm not 100% sure how, how it went in fourth and fifth round but basically the point is these quarterbacks might be better than we think they are based just on saying what round they were drafted in. And that applies to both Ritter and Howell. Yeah. I just think we have no idea with Sam Howell. Also, they like committed to him super early, which I mean, I don't know how much you really want to take away from that, but I mean, they've said pretty much, even though they had Jacoby Brissett, like, Hey, Sam Howell's our guy going forward with that. And I think that even having Joe Jacoby Brissett there, like almost raises their floor. Like if Sam Howell is not good, like, I mean, we know Joe Jacoby can be like adequate, I guess, you know, in terms of a like low end starter. Uh, and so, I don't know. I mean, I guess that doesn't necessarily help the tail end outcome here, but I do think there are reasonable outcomes here where Sam Howell could be okay. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the pedigree coming in, you know, the season before it, like the Sam Howell stuff was like, can Sam Howell go number one overall? Right. Like there was like, that was a discussion that had been had at times previously. So like, 
yeah, obviously things happened at UNC for him to slide and, you know, he could have done things to get himself drafted a little bit higher, but like, this is definitely a guy, at least in the NFL circles within the last three years could have been projected to a, you know, first round pick. So to Clark's point, I don't think it's something that you need to like put a nail in someone's coffin before we really see the reps in that scenario. So yeah, the Eric B enemy stuff, like that, that can't hurt. Um, Sam Howell's, you know, the good weapons, average to a slightly above average offensive line. And yeah, the defense could stay, take a step forward. You know, Chase Young could be gone in the future, but you're probably going to get Chase Young this year. And they're probably pretty motivated Chase Young if he could stay healthy, right? And that's a pretty good, you know, Montez Sweat is a stud, probably one of the more underrated defensive ends in the entire league, even without Chase Young. It's an elite, elite front four. So yeah, I, I like I like the plays. Um, I know I'm going to have a little bit of agreement here on mine. We're going to stay in the NFC. Um, and I'm going to go with a quarterback with a ton of unknown that actually has first round capital. Um, and that is the green Bay Packers. And again, like there's a lot of variance here and that's the entire premise, but the bones with this team are very, very good. And I think there's been a lot of unknowns and a lot of narratives that have uh, kind of been the prevailing narrative with Jordan love is that he's, he's basically trash. The kids made one start in two years. It was on the road in Kansas city on short notice after Aaron Rodgers had COVID. Really tough spot, right? And he wasn't great, but we saw a little bit of glimmer last year. He didn't play a lot. It took like 20 snaps, and, you know, had a really nice like half against Philly. There's just a lot of unknowns here, right? right? There's just not a lot of game film uh, to go off. If he's going to be playing in front of an excellent offensive line, um, you know, David Bakhtiari is really crucial here. He was awesome last year in limited role, like didn't allow a sack or a hit, uh, like 340 pass blocking snaps or something like that. He's uh, it was injury allowed them to get a look at some other guys. Zach Tom was awesome last year. He's going to be able to move over to right tackle. And they're going to move Elgin Jenkins to left guard. Like if they can get Jenkins and Bakhtiari and play 15, 17 games, that's probably one of the best left side offensive lines in the league. Um, Love has a level of mobility that we haven't seen from Rogers over the last handful of years. That's going to allow them to do some more things there too. Um, and we, you know, the running joke with the Packers, how they just, Refuse to draft offensive tackle or offensive talent in the first round. Um, they've loaded up on defensive guys. They're going to be starting eight first round picks on the defensive side of the ball. All guys that they've drafted and developed over the past six years. Two of those guys barely played last year. Eric Stokes missed a ton of time. Jair Alexander, uh, former All Pro, missed a bunch of time last season. Wasn't really shocking to see them disappoint. But this could be a top five defense if they stay healthy. Offensively, yes, they punted on day one talent, but they've gone hard on day two. Um, if they keep Josiah Degura as their third tight end, fairly irrelevant, but they probably do. He's the only guy on their roster at wide receiver or tight end will, that will not be in their first or second year. This is a very, very, very young team with a young quarterback. We've seen some pro, like pro Jordan Love stuff from Jair Alexander in the media, like he doesn't have to pump his tires like that. He'd just stay quiet if Jordan Love was struggling a little bit through practice. So I'm just encouraged. The schedule is also very soft. We talk about the unique three. They play the Rams, they play at the Giants, and they play at Pittsburgh. So again, it's a it's a an open division. Uh, and I just think, you know, again, like seven and a half win total, I think is not the right way to do it. Nine and a half at plus money, uh, like plus 275, or I know Clark has been kind of in, driving the bandwagon with the division here, I think still available at five to one. So uh, Clark, tell me why I'm right on the Packers. Yeah, also, uh, it's not available anymore, but 30 to one to win the NFC was was one of my favorite bets of the offseason for Packers. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers played at a probably league average quarterback level last year. 
Um, and so when you're talking about the transition from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love, there's a possibility that Jordan Love is a league average quarterback, in which case the expectation should be the same as last year. Uh, and they disappointed with, I think, nine wins. So, yeah, I mean, the upside is there. This is similar to Desmond Ritter in that the surroundings are there. The coaching is there. The schedule is there. It just requires Jordan Love to step into being a competent NFL quarterback and building that confidence and trust. Um, and if he does, the ceiling is very high. Yeah. Connor, were you on the, the Packers or anything in the NFC North, I guess? Yeah, I mean, you guys are giving me a lot of shit for not being on board the Packers. I mean, the I win totals, the, yeah, well, I was catching some strays on Twitter. Uh, I mean, there was the win total is like seven and a half. I think it's probably a little bit underrated. I, we already talked about week one against the Bears. Uh, you know, like I think if that gets to plus three, I also think too that like they can offensively just rely on the running game if they really want to with their offensive line. Like they don't necessarily have to throw Jordan Love into a situation like Aaron Rodgers. Like Aaron Rodgers on a lot of like third and shorts and things like that would just take matters in his own hands. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't think that they need to do that necessarily. So like I am interested in the Packers. It's just not a team where I'm ecstatic. I guess a five to one to win the division. I think that the Lions are a little bit overrated. The Bears are almost certainly overrated. Uh, and the Vikings, I go back and forth on them. They're a team that I was not able to get a good grasp on last year, to be entirely honest. So, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't hate it. It's not something I love, but I think that I'm also kind of a Christian Watson hater, to be honest. I think he's kind of a scrub. Hmm. Um, he's, he's, uh, I don't know if you heard. He's better than Justin Jefferson. Do you uh, see that on Twitter? Upside, apparently. Yeah, more upside. Well, I mean, it's all it's Jordan Love's thing. floor is Justin Fields. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I do like – I do like Romeo Dobbs and uh, they drafted Jaden Reed as well. I actually think that that receiving core is pretty solid, but like if one Christian thing, Watson can do anything, you know? Yeah. One thing I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical about is, is when Rashawn Gary will be back healthy, that he's an important part of their defense and Big time. hopefully it doesn't take him too long to get up to speed. Yeah. I saw him. He was on the NFL network the other day and he was talking about, and again, like a very rare, you're going to get a player telling you that he's behind schedule. Um, but he's, you know, saying that he's ahead of schedule and very encouraged. So I do think he is, it makes a big, big difference, but yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of variance in having that young of a pass catching core. Uh, so like, that's kind of the nature of this beast in terms of pairing that guy with a very inexperienced quarterback, but the upside is there. Like I think Jaden Reed to slide in the slot is really nice. Romeo Dobbs kind of hit the ground running last year. And yeah, like there are concerns about Christian Watson being more of a, shorts and t-shirt guy than actually like an NFL football player, but man, like it was pretty good when he was out there. Uh, and again, you know, we're joking about the hyperbole in terms of like someone saying that he has the upside of, of Justin Jefferson, but the premise is, is that there's, there's definitely some untapped potential there, which is, you know, why he went where he did in the draft, basically playing, you know, division two football. So there's just, again, the bones are really, really good. And if Jordan love is adequate, uh, and again, we have like the Ewing theory to be applied here. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the Ewing theory. Uh, it's an old school Bill Simmons um, MBA um, theory around basically when you remove this like giant piece that kind of hovers over the organization, it's a key player, something like it's just kind of like it's an air that's lifted off of the organization. And like, look, I'm not going to think. He run two MVPs very recently, Aaron Rodgers. I'm not here to say disparaging things about him, like not talking about the Jets in a bad way necessarily. I'm just saying like he's a bigger-than-life personality who's a very eccentric guy and adds a unique element in terms of leadership in that locker room. Then that was very different and seems to be something that, again, is not something that we're going to find running EPA per play numbers or anything like that. 
uh, but it just could be something that's happened in the locker room. Um, right. When you, you get, you know, Jamie Tart's head, right. Um, it's a very dynamic, different dynamic for, you know, AFC Richmond. Like it just, you know, the locker room thing does matter. And I know we can't equate that typically on, uh, you know, in football games, but I think Aaron Rodgers being removed uh, makes a difference. Soccer reference. Soccer reference. Big soccer guy. TV show reference. Fictional soccer reference. You turned down going to the men's national team game, though, this Saturday. Uh, I guess you I didn't uh, directly turn down the invite. I was, uh, I think, passively uninvited because I don't (laughs) appreciate the the game. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, as Scott mentioned in the chats, I should be careful that Aaron Rodgers is going to cast a smell a spell on me. Uh, yeah, he's you know, look, I remember the first time I took mushrooms; it was pretty cool. Uh, he apparently waited a little bit longer in life to do it, and you know, he's had a lot of awakening. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited for him. It, you know, it's a fun ride, and I hope that he has uh, good access to that in in New York. So uh, now we'll be pessimistic, Clark. We will shift to teams on the tail end that could be uh, worse than expected. All right, let's talk about the New York football giants. Uh, last year, they were very, very fortunate to achieve the record that they achieved. Um, and, and part of that was incredible coaching by Brian Dayball, coach of the year. Um, sorry to everyone <laughs> uh, who bet on Sirianni. But, but no, the thing about coach of the year is it typically is an award given to a coach for a team that vastly outperforms its actual ability. Um, and so I went back and looked in 21 Vrabel won it at 12 and five the following year, they were seven and 10 in 20 Stefanski won it at 11 and five following year. They're eight and nine Harbaugh won it in 19, 14 and two next year, 11 and five uh, Matt Nagy, 12 and four went to eight and eight McVeigh was the only one. He went from 11 to five to 13 and three. He did improve Garrett 13 to three to nine and seven Rivera 15 and one to six and 10. So in almost every case, the, the year after a team's coach wins coach of the year, that team vastly underperforms, loses four plus more games in most cases. Um, and, and with the Giants last year, you know, they, they beat the Titans. They came back from t- a 10 point deficit in the fourth quarter. They needed a fourth down conversion and a two point conversion to win that. They had a last second field goal against Carolina. They needed two late turnovers from Lamar Jackson to erase a 10-point deficit against the Ravens. They needed a fumble on the goal line from ETN from the Jags, and the Jags actually ended the game on the Giants' one-yard line, losing by six. Um, They beat Houston, Washington, Indianapolis, Chicago, and Green Bay. So last year, they were very fortunate to be where they were. They got absolutely flummoxed by the Eagles in the playoffs, who were a good team, obviously. Um, over by and half so, time. Was, yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was way it was over and and so there's a chance that the giants were not nearly as good as people think they were last year um and they haven't really done anything they kind of were like oh yeah daniel jones might actually be good let's pay him uh who knows if saquon barkley is going to be playing um they're they reached their peak outcome last year um and so the 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 idea that they're going to have a, a massive fall this year is definitely within the range of outcomes their schedule involves the afc east absolutely brutal Obviously, their own division is brutal, especially if Connor is right about uh, the commanders hitting their upside. That's three really tough divisional opponents. Um, so the the floor could fall out for this team. And if Daniel Jones gets hurt, which he's done in every year except last year, he, he's a running quarterback who doesn't really protect himself very well. He's had a few concussions, unfortunately. There's just several different ways this team completely falls apart. And I think they're their perception is inflated by what was basically a fortunate year last year and an incredible coaching job by Brian Dable. Um, Their offense was a little bit gimmicky, relied on a lot of third and fourth down conversions, a lot of quarterback runs. These things don't tend to be sustainable in the long run. So I'm not necessarily saying that 
I think the Giants will underperform expectations, but I think if they do, it could be by a a large, you know, a large amount. Not only was the offense gimmicky, no offense, Giants fans, the defense was really gimmicky too. It was, you know, a lot of um, strategic blitzing. And again, like that's Wing Martindale, and he's been really good at that for a very long time. And, you know, it kind of leveraged, hey, look, I have a um, depleted secondary, <clears throat> very devoid of talent, basically, at most positions. Let's scheme ways to kind of hide that. And it worked. It, it worked in a you know, really soft schedule. Um, a little bit harder for them this year. Connor, what are your thoughts on the Giants? Yeah, the not to mention the receivers, like they did nothing there. Like they really truly need like an alpha receiver, I think, to like kind of help Daniel Jones progress. And they just don't have that at all. I mean, so looking at like Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, they had a Jalen Hyatt, but he's like mostly just like a stretch guy. Uh, and I think with upside, if he pans out, you know, Sterling Shepard. I mean, like there's none of these guys are really true difference makers. So that's a big issue for me on this Giants team. My only concern with betting against the Giants specifically is that like I was just really impressed how they squeezed out like basically every single edge that I felt like last year, just in, in game, pregame, like whatever, whatever it was, like even on like third and shorts, they were always, you know, like picking guys open. Like there was guys just like running open in short distances. And it was one of those things where I, it's, it's tough to really truly understand without like watching the game specifically because it was just like very apparent that there was always going to be guys open. Like they were every little edge that they could have, they were just squeezing. Now, can that regress? I mean, we've seen plenty of coaches have that happen to them. Uh, you know, at one point, uh, Matt Nagy was good. I mean, guys were running wide open in 2018 with Matt Mitchell Trubisky and he was just airmailing them still, but you know, like at least Daniel Jones was completing him, but still it's like coaches can regress because other teams figure them out. Like it happens all the time. So I'm, I agree that I think the giants regress to some extent. Uh, I just am not sure what that looks like because they're still from a talent standpoint, like they're not very good. I mean, last year they were coming into the year, like one of the worst rosters, at least what we thought. And then they ended up way overperforming. So I just wonder if that catches up to them here. I agree. I don't know how much they drop, but like Clark said, you know, if you're right on the commanders and I think we think that the Cowboys and the Eagles are pretty good teams, you know, that gets a little bit crowded and a little bit harder, at least having a battle in the division and, and make, make those things happen. So, yeah, I mean, Darren Waller, I guess, is going to be their 1A from a pass catcher standpoint. It was a nice addition for them. But, like, again, 31-year-old 30, not... Darren Waller coming Correct. up injury. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I just wanted to note that he was on the team. But, yeah, I Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's, a, he's an upgrade from what they had last year for sure. But, yeah, I mean, it's a mess. There's six guys, and they're all, like, 2B – 3a kind of guys right they're not necessarily like you know there's no one there for sure so yeah don't hate that at all uh connor how about you who were you a little bit lower on yeah a team that i think that's just super low downside like a, like a ton of downside this year would be the indianapolis colts i think that there's just a ton of questions offensively the offensive line is probably gonna be fine not gonna be elite they have a little bit of talent uh obviously with quentin nelson but I'm not sure about the depth there specifically. They have a couple of holes. And I think the pass catchers are a bigger issue than advertised. Michael Pittman is fine, but I don't think he took the step forward that we anticipated last year. Um, otherwise, we'll get Alex Pierce, who I guess flashed at times. Isaiah McKenzie, Josh Downs, like a bunch of, I would say, unknowns and guys that I'm not particularly excited about. I know that you're interested in Josh Downs, but overall, I think it's kind of middling uh, at best. And if not, maybe kind of like a bottom 12 uh, overall core here. I think Anthony Richardson is going to start week one. And I think that this is a, a big issue for this team. We've talked about it briefly 
on here before, but I think that the inconsistencies that he's going to have in, in year one is going to be significant. If you go back and watch him, I don't even want to talk about the stats. I don't think the stats truly reflect like who he was, but if we look at just like watching him on a play to play basis against good teams really struggled, it was, you know, he would have to do something heroic on every single play to make anything happen. There was nothing easy for him and things that were easy for him. He was underthrowing, overthrowing, like things like that. And so the potential is very, very much there. Like the future is very, very much could be bright. But I think the same thing was said about Josh Allen. The same thing has been said about like Justin Fields. If we look at Josh Allen's rookie year, 52% completion rate, more interceptions and touchdowns. Uh, again, kind of the similar issues, middling weapons at the time. Didn't have awesome surroundings offensively, was very inconsistent, and they were just okay. You know, and like he had, I would say, significantly better team overall around him than a guy like Anthony Richardson. Now, I think the good devil's like the devil's advocate argument is that Shane Steichen can carry them and elevate everything significantly. But in my opinion, that's all you're betting on. Like this is a bet on the Colts is just a bet on Shane Steichen figuring it out. And so if that doesn't happen, which I mean, on the flip side of where I said, you know, Biennemi could be the next McVay, could be the next Shanahan. There's also, you know, other scenarios where this guy is not the next quarterback whisperer. And the floor in that scenario is complete direct, like train wreck in my mind. It's like a disaster offensively. Um, and then defensively, I think they have a, a couple of issues as well. They were fine in, according to most metrics, but, uh, you know, lost a couple of guys, tough linebacker depth, uh, secondary depth, I think is a little bit weak too. So for me, yeah. So for me, I mean, I think that this Colts team, like it, it almost entirely depends on Shane Steichen to me. Yeah. I mean, defensively you have, you know, Stephon Gilmore now in, in Dallas, you have this like hovering Isaiah Rogers stuff around like, is he going to be suspended? Uh, for, you know, they're gambling rumors. Nothing has really been reported there, but that is like a name that's out there pretty regularly at this point. And it's like, you know, something's happening there. And again, it's already a pretty deep, uh, you know, pretty shallow secondary. So, yeah, I mean, I am long-term pro Anthony Richardson. I think the upside is immense, but I'm not going to argue that the short-term stuff should be anything that we're expecting uh, to be, dazzling in year one um i do believe in shane steichen i think we've seen that from you know a couple different stops positive in uh la with the chargers really good with the eagles and i think that you know his the, anthony richardson's best shot is going to be in a scenario here with uh you know solid running game hopefully if they can get some talent there but yeah i'm with you i think that there is you know a pretty pretty severe floor clark what are your thoughts on the colts yeah, I think people like to say, well, Shane Steichen did well with Jalen Hurts and Anthony Richardson is kind of a similar style quarterback, so he's going to like thrive. But people forget to say Shane Steichen did well with the Eagles' incredibly good offensive line specifically. Um, and that was what allowed Jalen Hurts to play at the level that he played at last year and even the year before. Uh, the Colts' offensive line is so overrated. Like when I watch the film, they're just getting, you know, bull rushed. And it, it, it's there's a chance that the Colts offensive line doesn't even allow Richardson to reach his uh, anywhere close to his ceiling, especially without weapons. So um, yeah, a lot of reasons for pessimism. I mean, beyond that too, it's like Devonta Smith and AJ Brown would both be the clear number one on this Colts team. And they don't have either of those guys. Like when you think about it, like who's getting open, like who, who is, who's a true separator on the Colts? Like I don't see anyone as a guy that's like really consistently getting open uh, and being like Richardson's go-to guy, which there were some studies that came out this week about how having like kind of them like running quarterbacks leaning on their number one more like guys who don't throw as much. Um, and so I don't know. I think that's interesting here who that pans out to be because I think it could be no one. Like, I mean, it just could be no one right now. 
Yeah, I mean, even if Richardson hits his peak, I would think that he'd look like Justin Fields last year, and the Bears won three games because he had nobody else, and that's kind of, you know, there's lots of ways the Colts fall well below expectations. That's, that's fair. I have no problem with that. I'm going to stay in the division, though, too. And I have another soft landing spot. I knew Clark was with me on the Packers. I know Connor's with me here on the Titans. We're going to stay in the division because, again, like Connor made the case, like the good thing for the Colts is that, like, we get the best version of Shane Steichen. And my only real concern in anything Tennessee wise is Mike Vrabel simply because he's done it, he, he gets more out of this talent year in and year out. Cause it's always a team. I was never really excited about from a roster standpoint. And I feel like this is maybe the, the bottom um, roster wise. It's arguably the worst wide receiver group in the league. Traylon Burks has his own question marks. He is definitely a clear one. Otherwise we're looking at Racy McMath, Kyle Phillips, and, um, you know, but, Walker, uh, you know, Kiki, that's not very good. Like Chigaquanu is like the second best pass catcher. It's not great. Um, it is, I think, the worst offensive line in the league. Both PFF and uh, Mike Clay at ESPN have them as the 32nd out of 32 offensive lines. It's an absolute issue. I think the like Derrick Henry's still the dude. I think he's still really good, probably on like the end and the start of the decline. Um, but again, like it gets really hard behind this offensive line. And now you have this mess at quarterback. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill probably has a very long leash. There's obviously questions with Will Levis, but again, like it's not a safe spot for either of them with the pass catcher group and the offensive line. So like it's probably better from a coordinator standpoint. Like I know we saw a lot of like tweets yesterday from, uh, Warren Sharp around, Todd Downing's inefficiency as an offensive coordinator. Like, I still think you're going to see that stuff. I think you're going to see a lot of like running into heavy boxes on first and second down to try to make it a little bit easier because you don't have difference makers at wide receiver. Uh, you don't have an offensive line that can protect the quarterback. So they're going to have to lean on Derrick Henry continuing to be this monster tackle breaker. And it just doesn't feel really good defensively. I think they're going to be okay, but it's not a team that like is loaded that's going to be able to elevate this offense um, they're going to be on the field more. Like we don't really talk about that often in terms of like bad offenses and how they put a strain on the, a defense, like three and outs turnovers, turnovers and short fields and putting the team, you know, back in off of a short rest to defend, you know, in the red zone, like that's tough. So trickle down effect is, is pretty massive with how bad the offense is. And then we've talked about schedule wise, the unique three here, they play the chargers, the Seahawks and at Miami. Those are three teams that I am very bullish on. Those are in terms of like where you look at the unique three outside of elite division winners. Like I think that, you know, the Jags have a really tough unique three chiefs have a really unique three, but like they were first place teams and they've kind of earned that. And we also think they're going to be good again. I don't think that the Titans are going to be good and they've really kind of run into a really tough three. Uh, Connor, I know you were on this too. It's one of your first you know, futures of the year that you wrote up early the season. Yeah, we're still looking at seven and a half. And the more that I think about it, the more that I think we're looking at like a six game season basically here. So we will know, I think, after the first seven weeks, uh, heading into their week seven by whether this win total is going way under or way over. And so right now we're looking at them being three and a half point dogs in week one, week two, four and a half point dogs in week three and four, one point dog in week five, and then five and a half point dogs in week six, and they head into their bye. Uh, I mean, if they're one point, if they're one in five, I think the rest of their season, like they're probably starting Will Levis out of the bot. From there on, like none of the other look ahead lines matter because this team looks drastically different. Could Derrick Henry get traded? I think absolutely at that point. Like the wheels falling off look for this team 
look significant because like the only, I think upside scenarios are like, okay, the running game gets back. Ryan Tannehill is underrated, which I do think that he probably is underrated at this point. And like, that's the upside center and they carry the offense, which I think is possible. But when you're looking at who they play in those first six games, like they're underdogs in every single game. And like, it's an uphill climb to even be 500 heading into the bye. And so if they're not even 500, like the decision can come from, you know, above and just be like, Hey, we're going to pull the plug on this. We're going to move forward with Levis. We're going to figure out what we have and tank. So I'll be playing alt unders. I think it's like a good look. If you can get like an under five and a half at uh good plus money, I think that's an interesting look here because the rest of the season, uh, I mean, it's definitely easier than what we're seeing in the first six weeks, but with Will Levis with maybe without Derrick Henry, I think the team just could look a lot different and, horrible supporting cast based on what you described. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much out on this Titans team. Yeah. I still think Ryan Tannehill can maybe be league average. Like I don't want to bury Ryan Tannehill at all, but like, is he a, at this point in his career, a talent elevator? I'm not necessarily sold. And there's not a lot of talent to, to be elevated here. Uh, Clark, what are your thoughts on Tennessee? I don't think Tannehill's ever been a talent elevator, um, but I, I do. I mean, you got Mike Vrabel, Ryan Tannehill, and I actually think their defense is really good. At least it was last year. Um, so it's hard for me to see it. Um, uh, but at the same time, if, like you said, if they start rough and they're one and five heading into the bye, you know, m- maybe we don't have Tannehill anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think ultimate unders is probably the way to play it. I, I don't think that I can go bearish on the Titans at current market prices, but, um, I, your points are compelling. And I think another issue too, with, with relying on Derrick Henry is that like when, if you watch him run, like he kind of needs like a couple of steps to get ahead of steam. And a lot of times last year he was getting hit behind the offensive line. and wasn't able to like pick up that steam, like really carry him those extra four or five yards because if the offensive line isn't good enough, which during his heyday, it was very good. You know, like he was crushing it. And so that's kind of my issue too, is like, you can't really rely on that if he's getting hit, you know, at the line of scrimmage or yard before, cause he just hasn't picked up enough steam. Yeah, the secondary, so the great safety group. The corners are interesting. They've had, you know, they've spent a lot of early draft capital the last couple of years at corner, and it hasn't super panned out for them. They're going to need some of these guys. You know, uh, Roger McCreary last year, uh, they have Christian Fulton, they have uh, Caleb Farley. Like those guys really haven't kind of emerged yet. Um, it's, you know, not a great pass rush. They've also had, you know, some some injuries up there too. So that's been a little bit of a problem, but again, I think the strain that the offense puts on him is a little bit tough. Like they threw the bag at Andrew, uh, Andrew Dillard offensive lineman from the, the Eagles. Like he lost his job. He was like a swing tackle for them the last, uh, you know, year plus. And now he's like your best offensive lineman. They're going to, you know, they drafted Peter Skaronsky who was going to play guard for them. Like, so yeah, he'll be pretty good in, in an upgrade, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a pretty sight. So um, the run defense elite though. Very, very, very good. Yeah, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is is a stud. Um, yeah, uh, linebacker group is not good. They they, uh, But, yeah, whatever, like a pretty interchangeable squad there. So uh, we'll see who emerges with that group. But, yeah, Simmons, if he can stay on the field, you know, he definitely is uh, – uh, he can collapse the pocket. He can, you know, make things a little bit harder. But, yeah, I just think the offense makes that harder. Again, you just can't – if you're on the field for 35, 40 minutes a game, hey, that defense starts to, to not look quite as good. So – yeah, yeah tougher. Don't, don't need Howard Landry too, for sure. Yeah, he's not been able to stay healthy and, and be impactful. So, all right, guys, good stuff. I think they, you know, not super hard hot taking. I think we were measured, but again, like you know, it's good for the SEO. We we'll put hot takes all over this, you know, and people will click and they'll be like, "Hey, these guys are going to be fired." Uh, sorry, it's just it's not our style. Um, yeah, I, I Sharp Clark said the Falcons are going to win twelve games. Yeah, <laughs> who's this Jason Mraz looking dude saying that the Falcons <laughs> are winning the Super Bowl? 
So I don't know. It's not, Packers not, are going to win the NFC. Yeah, not for everyone. Uh, Christian Watson, uh, offensive player of the year from Connor Allen, I think we got earlier. So Christian Watson is is T Higgins. How about that? Not Justin Jefferson. T- mm. T. I, I was going to say I think that at his best he's Will Fuller. That's my oh. that's my Christian oh. Watson take. Yeah, disrespect. That's, I know that is disrespectful, but I'm 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 ready to take the heat for it. So. As always, reminder, show notes for all the stuff we talked about. If you want to get the subscription, um, we definitely advise that. Three-month sub for just five bucks, really, really cheap. Otherwise, 444.com slash plans. You can head over there, lock yourself in for the year, get all the picks that we make all season. You'll get them for now, all the future stuff that we have leading up there too. Uh, access to every tool, article, best ball, redraft, DFS, high stakes, all that stuff. So good stuff as always. We'll be back in the same spot next week. So for Clark and Connor, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.